Hello and welcome to Stories from the Ridge, Macaulay's podcast series. I'm Lee Burns, head of school, and today's podcast features three of our great faculty members discussing summer travel and study experiences. Through the generosity of alumni and friends, Macaulay has one of the strongest, most thorough summer enrichment programs for faculty of any school in the nation. And wow, how it has paid off for the school. Over the years, as the program has grown, we've seen the results in a stronger, more dedicated, more inspired faculty, and the results are evident in the classrooms. In today's podcast, Sumner McCauley, Dean of Faculty and Curriculum, who administers the Summer Travel Grant Program, talks with three faculty members about their travel experiences last summer. Adam Tolar, Michael McCauley, and Will Givens share some wonderful stories but more importantly, they share how the summer travel grants enabled them to return to the classroom this fall with new ideas and new inspirations. Later this fall, we'll have other teachers and students talk about organized overseas trips they took last summer. But now, let's hear from Adam, Michael, and Will about their faculty renewal travels. I'm Sumner McCauley, the Dean of Faculty and Curriculum here at McCauley School, and one of the special parts of my job is facilitating the faculty grant process. For many years now, thanks to some wonderful alumni donors, McCauley has been able to offer its faculty renewal grants up to $3,000. Every three years, a faculty member can apply for a grant to pursue study and travel, with the goal of enriching their own perspectives on the world and bringing back ideas and experiences to their classrooms. Grant applications are submitted to a committee of previous grant winners who help determine that year's recipients. Typically, about eight faculty grants are offered each year. Past recipients have researched real-time impacts of climate change on Alaskan communities, have traveled to rural Portugal to experience the sights and sounds of the childhood of an author we read in ninth grade English, and have traced the roads the Selenian marauders used to attack the Roman Empire. In addition, Macaulay's received several specific donations, a McNiff James grant for faculty in their early years of teaching, and a Rose Anderson grant for faculty attending institutions where they can make long-term connections with other experts in their discipline. In recent years, teachers have studied how birdsong tracking has been used to understand ecosystem health in the Olympic Peninsula, and have attended historical institutes exploring America's involvement in Vietnam. We are grateful to the donors who make these grants possible. Today, we have three recipients of grants with us from this past year cycle. And we'll look forward to letting them describe their experiences and how their time is inspiring their classrooms this fall. Adam Tolar is in his 17th year at teaching at Macaulay. He teaches AP English and American Literature, is a longtime coach for football and track, and heads Burns Dormitory. He has been a recipient of the student-chosen Keogh Kyo Distinguished Teacher of the Year Award and the Coaching for Character Award. Adam, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Dr. Michael Macaulay is in his fourth year leading our thriving guitar program, which has over 95 students involved this year. His groups play at major Macaulay functions like Candlelight and Whirlwind, but also travel around the city in the southeast performing in a number of venues. Michael also has a sharp visual eye and a personal interest in photography and helps with capturing images for some of our school videos. Michael, welcome. Good morning, Sumner. Thanks for having me. Will Givens is in his fourth year of teaching and is a founding faculty of our graphic design program. He coaches cross-country, has added his knowledge and leadership to our outdoor program, and works in North Hutchison Dormitory, where he is known for amazing cookies and deep conversation. 
He recently was honored by the boarding students with a Faculty Residential Life Award, recognizing the dormitory advisor who has most positively influenced the residential community over the year. Will, thanks for joining us. Great to be here, Sumner. Thank you. Zoran, let's open by having each of you take about three minutes to describe your recent grant, where you went, what you're able to see and do. In short, maybe provide a brief audio postcard for our audience to get a feel for your experience. And then with that as a basis, we'll begin to probe a little bit deeper and figure out what these grants mean to us as faculty. Maybe can we start with you, Adam? Sure. I, uh, I took my family up to Boston at the end of May, right after exam week. And my premise, my proposal was about uh, studying the transition from romanticism to realism in American literature, with Boston sort of serving as a hotbed for that movement in the 19th century. So um, for those of you who, who are still awake after <laughs> that little proposal, uh, it, it was actually very interesting. I mean, as a, as a longtime English teacher, um, this is something that I've wanted to study specifically in regard to transcendentalism, and um, this sort of gave me a reason to, to dive deep into it. And so we went up there, we, we looked at a little bit of everything. I, I kind of did a lot of research just all across the board and, um, you know, the traditional stuff. I mean, obviously it's, the city is so full of history, but we did the Freedom Trail and, you know, up on, on Beacon Hill and we went around to the um, Museum of African American History and, and looked at some of the different settings there and studied the Black Heritage Trail that was in conjunction with that, uh, which was fascinating. And, and the Boston Museum of Fine Arts, we just sort of got lost in for, for a few hours. And, <clears throat> you know, we also balanced that with, uh, you know, just, just things that were a little bit less intense. I mean, we went to the New England Aquarium for the first time. We caught a Red Sox game. My, my son, who uh, graduated last spring and, and has a uh, quite an independent spirit, decided spur of the moment that he, he wanted to go catch the uh, Celtics playoff game against the, the Miami Heat at the last second and went out and did his own thing for that. And so even the things that were unrelated to the grant while we were up there were, were just fascinating to me to, to have... The, the time and the freedom to, to just sort of explore and figure things out as we go. And so when we got back home, I think I'm still, I jumped right into summer camp uh, and, and then right into football. And, and so with classes and, and the dorm and everything starting up, I think I'm still processing everything that we did throughout the course of the trip. But piecing it all together, and, and I took some time last night just to, just to think through everything and looked at all the pictures that we took and um, looked at the notes that I had from the trip and and I was blown away by by how many different things we were able to do and and specifically the the part at, at Walden Pond I think I've taught Thoreau and Emerson for so long and I've taught transcendentalism for so long that I've never had a chance to actually go to this amazing place that I've read about and studied and and just sort of immerse myself in it for a number of hours. And um, that's probably my best memory with that. That's really what these grants are for. It's trying to make sure that, that faculty have that chance to things that they've been teaching, things that you've been thinking about, to see firsthand, to get that 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 visual, that, that touch almost on the things. Thanks, Adam. Really, I want to come back and, and, and talk more about what that experience was like. Michael, can you talk a little bit about what you did this past summer? Sure. So I traveled to um, Spain 
to uh, present a lecture at the Camino des Artes Festival in Carrion de los Condes, Spain. It, it just occurred to me that um, as a lifelong student and teacher of the Spanish classical guitar, it would likely behoove me to have A, traveled to Spain, and B, have a working knowledge of the Spanish language. And so... Um, I went over, I worked with students at the festival. Um, what's really cool about this particular festival is that it's located along the uh, Camino de Santiago, which is this ancient path of pilgrimage, uh, the French way of the Camino de Santiago. So it's this ancient path of pilgrimage from the Pyrenees to Santiago de Compostela. And carry on, the town that the festival was held in is the exact midpoint. So all of the concerts and events that we that we had at the festival were were um, were aimed at attracting pilgrims on their on their route to Santiago. So one of the coolest things was seeing pilgrims who had who were halfway through their eight hundred kilometer walk stop and have an evening with us playing guitar. I mean, I, so I'm, I'm used to playing for audiences who are maybe indifferent to the music that's being played, and this was one of the most engaged audiences I've, I've ever performed for. Um, so it was just really wonderful. The, the talk that I gave was on the history of the Camino and the music of the Camino. So it also gave me an opportunity to kind of brush off my research chops, which I haven't had a good reason to do in a couple years, and to just really um, do a deep dive into learning about the Camino de Santiago and its musical history and how that could relate back to what I do every day, and especially what I do in the classroom. It's a pretty amazing experience. We've actually had several faculty that have gone on that, on that pilgrimage, and I can imagine from their description what that must have been like to walk into that city and to to listen and to think and to, to, to sort of pause in their process um, with, with a concert like what you pr presented. That's a pretty amazing experience. I'll, I'll look forward to asking more about that. Will, you did some interesting travel this summer. I did. This summer I had originally planned to take a class at the Royal College of Art in London. It was going to be this editorial design class taught by a designer and teacher who I'd followed for some years. And then through continued complications with COVID, the logistics of that class ended up not working out. And graciously, the structure of the grants allowed me to still go on the trip, but to have some more freedom and flexibility within that. And so I did a seven-week-long solo backpacking trip flying into London and then traveling north into England, back down to Paris and then the south of France and then into Italy from, I guess, Bologna all the way down to Napoli by the end of it. And there, there were things that I was specifically looking forward to. There were times in museums. There, were, there was a photographer in the Victoria Albert Museum, Maurice Broomfield, who worked in this post-industrial war England. And his work has already had direct correlations to the things that we're working on in the Introduction to Photography course. Here, there's a street artist in Florence who's doing really fascinating work by adapting pre-existing street signs. And so it's, a, it's kind of a new form of graffiti of he's actually taking the signage that exists around Florence and transforming it, often in ways that that poke fun at or relate to kind of the, the broader visual context of Florence. And that's been really fun. There's, a, there's something about that that doesn't take itself too seriously that 
I think is really going to resonate with the guys here as they think about how we can use graphic design, the things we're learning about icons and about signage to, to have some fun and to, to make a statement within, within a culture. Um, but even more than the things that directly related to design and photography, whether it's the museums or, or street artists, whatever it was, just the chance to, to step back and to be removed. And, and we'll talk more about that in a bit. But it was, it, it was an unforgettable and I think transformative experience. And I'm really grateful to have had the opportunity. So it's amazing to me to listen because it sounds like each of you found a focus that you were looking for professionally, but then also found this balance with just needing to take a break, needing to have time, needing to think, which I think is really a central piece of what the grant, these grants allow. Talk a little bit about maybe from a 10,000-foot level. What are these grants about for you um, when you think about why they exist and when you think about what you do with them? They're not vacations. So maybe what's, what are some of the differences to help folks understand we're not paying folks to go to, to Disney World. We're, we're trying to support folks moving into interesting things that they're thinking about in their classes and also personally. This is Adam. Uh, I think it shows the school's lifelong commitment to, to learning in terms of its faculty. We need to practice what we preach. And when we're, we're telling the kids this is how we need to approach learning and we, and we need to, to always be reaching a little bit farther than where we are this this is what we do as the people that are are giving them that advice and i think it's it's a great um, gift that we have to you know you don't just apply for it and then kind of go off and do your own thing i mean you have to think through what you want to do you have to prepare the application you have to plan out your itinerary and then know that that you can move and and wiggle within that but uh, I, i think it it just really demonstrates what we have to be about as, as the faculty and staff for, for Macaulay. This is Will. I would add to that, Adam, not only is this a chance to model what it looks like to, to pursue lifelong learning, especially when there's not someone standing over me giving an assignment, but in a sense to create an assignment for yourself, it's also a chance within the rhythms of a school community where there is this beautiful routine Macaulay is a place where it is easy for the students and I think likely for the faculty as well to, to get into these habits and routines and to continue and to do things perhaps even on autopilot or without thinking about what's the why underneath what I'm doing. And I found, you know, in the packing the night before my flight left and putting things into this 36-liter backpack, you have to make decisions about what is going in this pack. And in some ways it felt like you know, cleaning out a closet and pulling everything out and looking at everything that you own and going, all right, I have seven weeks. What's important to me in this limited amount of time, in this fixed capacity, what's important to me and what am I going to put in this pack? And although I, I no longer live out of a 36-liter pack, it has been repeatedly helpful to reflect and to ask, there's still a fixed capacity of time. What are the things that are important to me? How can I be thoughtful in what I say yes to, the things that I invest time in or invest resources in? That's been a really helpful thing for me personally and a chance to challenge and ask some questions to guys about what they're carrying in their pack. That's actually really thoughtful, Will, because I think about how we as faculty have to manage our time. There are always needs of students, which is exactly why we're here. But to think about how we're going to choose to use our energy is sort of like, I've never thought about that analogy before. That's a really interesting idea. This is Michael. 
So um, th the trip was a great opportunity for me to choose what music I was going to prepare to take over. I mean, obviously, I chose Spanish music. I chose music that I've played since I was younger, um, much younger, actually. And um, so one of the things that I find happens in my program a lot is that I, is that I will find ways to make classical guitar music more palatable to middle school and high school boys. And the trip really inspired me to just say, I, I don't have to do that. I, I can, we can work with, you know, Albaneth and Granados and uh, really important Spanish historical composers, and the guys are going to like it, especially if I am energized by a recent trip to Spain. You know, and I, if, if I'm excited about it, they'll be excited about it. And then another thing that was really great for me personally and artistically, just in a different field, was Sumner mentioned that um, I'm a pretty pretty keen photographer. I, I managed to, to get 30 rolls of film through customs, both times, both ways, <laughs> and, um, and walked around and just sort of tried to find ways to see the culture of the place through the camera lens, which I find is... A, a really great way for you to decide what is interesting about a place to you. So it was just a really wonderful opportunity to, first of all, experience Spanish culture and then really be excited about it and to find a way to bring it to my classroom. So, Mike, I'm, I'm currently reading The Cardinal of the Kremlin just for a throwback to a Tom Clancy, and it centers on films that are being transferred back and forth across with spies. Is, is that a feel that you sort of had in your, in your experience? Well, so I, I bought a lead-lined bag, which apparently you can put through an x-ray machine um, with a bunch of rolls of film in it, and it won't damage the film. However, uh, what I wasn't ready for was that when you put a lead-lined bag through customs, it basically makes every red flag in the entire <laughs> airport go off because they can't see what's in the bag. So... Um, you yeah. need experience. That was that was yeah. Weird. Yeah. So yes, I got the the transporting spy materials. Total package <laughs> experience. Michael's on some watch lists. Now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sort of raises the question then. So some of the experiences we plan are planned, right? That you you know why you're going, and some of them aren't. Maybe start with what was something that you planned, and describe a little bit about why you planned it, and what was so important about it from your trip, and then we'll kind of move to the the unplanned pieces. I'll start. This is this is Adam. Uh, the the big part for me was planning the the trip to Walden Pond, and so I I intentionally saved that towards the end of the trip. And we got there. We we went to the the Emerson House in Concord prior to, and so I pulled up you know Google Maps to to navigate how we were going to walk from there to to Walden Pond, and then I I stumbled upon this trail the. Um, the Emerson Thoreau Amble, which I had read about, but I didn't know we were right there on it. And so it's just this trip through the woods, and it's a little bit less than two miles. And so we, we start walking on this, and it's got planks, and and, and you, you start off just off the road, and then it completely immerses into nature. <laughs> mm -hmm. And basically, it is a, a slightly less than two-mile trip from the back porch of Ralph Waldo Emerson's house in Concord to Henry David Thoreau's cabin, his famous cabin from Walden. And so you, you start walking through there, and the deeper you go, you see these just monstrously large trees looming overhead. And 
everything from sort of civilization at the road disappears. And this, this area is largely unchanged in the last couple hundred years, really. And it's fascinating. I mean, obviously, they've, they've made sort of, you know, accommodations to make sure people can get through there in all different weather. But planning everything to a T and then stumbling upon that sort of happy accident, <laughs> what was that, Bob Rossism? Uh, that was just a, a great moment for us to just walk through there. And then you come out in this corner of Walden Pond, and, and then it's almost two miles around the pond itself. And so we just got a chance to explore and go through and, and see all the different angles of everything that was going on. And uh, it, it couldn't have turned out better. And yet that was sort of the one aspect of that day's activity that I hadn't even planned. And it ended up being the best part of that day. Do you find that, that when you read Walden again now do, do you have those images is that is that come out is that going to change the way you teach in the, the uh, book absolutely and and not just that but uh, you know i we get there and, and it was a beautiful day and you know there wasn't that much action around and, and activity around the the pond itself and so it gave me a chance to just kind of walk into those areas where you know you saw thoreau's cabin and uh then you see the the you know the markup of it, what it actually looked like, and then you see the actual footprint of the original cabin, which is no longer there. But but able to being able to walk down right there at the shoreline and just sort of look across and immerse yourself in the solitude of it, and then you just start thinking about all those things that I've been teaching, you know, for a couple decades of, you know, not just not just Emerson and Thoreau, but but Whitman and others, where uh, everything just kind of came flooding in. And, and even though my family was there with me, it was just this, it was this incredible sort of feeling of connectedness with, uh, with, with everything that I had been teaching in regards to that unit over, over the long time that I've been doing this. Is a sense of outdoor something that, that you either grew up with or have that as a background in what you do on a daily basis, or was that really new? Ironically, no. I, I know, you know, Will is just an avid outdoorsman, Bear grills uh, type guy, and, and I am quite the opposite. And, um, and so I have very little uh, outdoor skills in that regard. And so for, for me to be able to go and, and do that was something that uh, was very eye-opening to me. And it, it wasn't like it was a true outdoor experience, but just being able to see that side of things and, and, and get a little bit of a glimpse into that world that I've studied from afar for so long was uh, just an amazing experience. Well, something that you planned specifically that, that happened, I realize that the, the trip changed a little bit, but you had some time to plan and think through. Talk about one of those experiences that was planned that really has resonated with you. So much of the time in England, so those first two and a half weeks, that's where the most heavily concentrated amount of planning was invested. And so what it looked like was, I mean, I had, from doing all this research, I had heard of cafes and museums and shops and markets. And so each day was planned, even geographically within the city of London, to kind of group things together based on location. And so it looked like, you know, it was spending time in a museum in the morning and then going to this place for lunch and then trying to hit maybe another museum in the afternoon. One of those that was just, I mean, the grandeur would almost knock you off your feet, walking up to the British Museum mm, mm. and even just seeing the facade. Yep. Going, wow. I don't think I even need to go in. 
I could just sit. (laughs) I'm sure there are a number of kids. (laughs) Yes, Yes. but I did go in, and it it is even more amazing on the inside than the out. And and one of the things that really struck me was, I think it was in the, the lower level of the British Museum, but there was this tree, and the story of the tree had traced back to this war torn country where other nations had over the years pumped in weapons and ammunition and weaponized this country, feeding into this conflict. And eventually the conflict subsided and the people had all these weapons. And the weapons ended up being literally embedded in the culture. They were, they were planted in the soil. And they were just so, it, the, the weapons that other nations had brought in had become so a part of the fabric of this community that a relief organization began to, to wonder and seek to design a way that, that something might be done to, to restore, to reconcile the situation. And so this group came in and they created an exchange program where they would actually purchase the weapons from the people in exchange for tools specifically tools related to agriculture, to, to sewing, various kind of community industry um, initiatives, which is, I mean, just this image of literally beating swords into plowshares. And then this relief group hired these artists to create these sculptures out of the dismembered weapons. So the first thing they did was they, they took all these saws and they made sure that the weapons could never be used again. I mean cutting and sawing and welding and, and, and destroying these things that had caused so much destruction. And then what the, the piece that's in the British Museum is called the Tree of Life. And it is this massive tree that you can stand under. And in the, in the branches of the tree, near the roots, climbing up it, there are all of these animals that have been created. And when you look closely, you see that they're built out of ammunition shells and the barrels of guns and scopes. And I mean, it's just... The, the tension between something, to, to see life, to see life and beauty come from something that has caused so much destruction. And a, and a lot of what I do with the guys in graphic design is asking them to use one thing to make a comment or a statement to communicate an idea on a second level. And so here you have this tree, but it's not just a tree. There is an entire story of a people embedded in in the very fiber of this sculpture that was one that that i won't forget yeah that's one of the things that i think guys coming out of your class talk about a lot is there is this sense of this is not just an image it's not just a text you're trying to create a message and a very clear message that's much deeper than just a marketing tool Um, i think that's one of the remarkable things you've brought to that graphic design course is the sense of of depth of meaning not just hey here's a random image that's going to sell something really powerful really powerful Michael, a, a specific incident that you, you planned that you had and that, that really resonated and, and you're going to bring back? Well, so one of the things that I wanted to do is I knew that I would be, I would be sort of sequestered in Carrion de los Condes, which is one of the locations that's, it's like I said before, it's right in the middle of the French way of the Camino de Santiago. And I knew that I wanted to find ways to get to as many of the other uh, adjacent cities on the Camino as I could, and so I think maybe the second to last day I was there, I decided to get a ride share and go to Lyon, um, and, which, is, which is one of the larger cities on the French Way, and um, I was just walking around looking, trying to soak everything in, making photographs, um, and I didn't even know that the museum 
for the famous uh, Spanish architect Antonio Gaudí happened to be in Leon. Uh, and so I, I, I went in just knowing that I loved his architecture, knowing that uh, one of the things that amazed me about his work was how he could use um, structures occurring in the natural world to build you know, grand buildings, the, the Sagrada Familia in Barcelona being the, being the most probably famous. But, but what I hadn't expected was at the museum they had a, an entire uh, exhibit on contemporary Spanish artists to Gaudí. Uh, and the one that I was just blown away by was they had a collection. There are many of these etchings, but they had a collection of, I think it was 30 etchings of Goya. And the reason this was just absolutely amazing to me is because for years and years and years I've studied and played these pieces called Caprichos de Goya by Mario Castelnuovo Tedesco. Uh, and each piece is uh, a musical reinterpretation of the meaning of each etching. And so to be in the room and see these etchings that I've studied in reproduction, to be able to play these pieces uh, in the flesh, you know, with the master's hand, was just an absolutely unexpected surprise. I probably spent two hours in there just looking at each one, thinking about, you know, how how the composer could have seen this work and 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 how seeing it in person would have influenced how he wrote the piece or maybe a certain passage has to do with a certain line in the in the etching and it was just one of those one of those times where I thought wow I mean I'm I'm really in the place where all of this music comes from and it was a it's a wonderful experience. You know, it reminds me of uh, sometimes listening to NPR in the morning and there's a an ad for fundraising that's about a producer who says. I'm kind of behind the scenes. I'm the person that goes and creates the sounds and captures the sounds. And, and she ends, I mean, it's a fundraising piece, but she ends by saying, There's, you, you can't do this without being on the ground. I mean, you could call people, but to see it, to witness it. And it sounds that there's a real common theme for all of you. It's that sense of being there. I mean, yes, you can read about it. And you all have that expertise. You know the backgrounds. You can play it because you've, you've heard about it. But to actually see these pieces to see the, the thing in the British Museum, the tree of life in the British Museum, to, to see those sketches, to be at Walden Pond, it really brings what you're trying to do internally more personal, right? I mean, it, it's not just, hey, now I have something to share with students. It's, it seems like there's actually a fundamental change that kind of happens with us as teachers when we get to see the things we're actually teaching about. That's a pretty powerful, powerful comment there. Talk to me about some things that, that happened that were just kind of fun, that kind of random that came up that you that have stuck with you. Well, I, I know that at one point you were talking about some people that you met that really made influence, and maybe other things as well. One of the things that will really resonate from the summer was being the the unmerited recipient of strangers' kindness. Mm. There were people who who owed me nothing who I could not repay, who were remarkably hospitable. You know, I think, I think that we, we hear the word hospitable and I think of having my friends over for dinner. But the word hospitality is more related to a kindness or the love of stranger, the philozenia, love of stranger. And this summer to see that, even with people who, I mean, I, I was in the homes of, of families who they had to invite 
an, another woman over who spoke more English than they did so that she could engage me in, in the areas where you know, their, their knowledge of English ran out. And these are people you didn't know before. You had no connection to. This was in had Italy? Had no connection to, yes. This was in, uh, oh, I think Perugia, Italy. Um, had lunch with a family. And you know, like we might do on, on the way to lunch, the family said, you know, you're welcome to come, but you'll have to forgive us. Like, it, it won't be much, but if you're willing to eat what we're having, then you're welcome to come. Which, in the Gibbons family, that means that we're going to open the fridge. There might be turkey sandwiches, but really it'll be, you know, like various tablespoons of whatever the week's leftovers are. That's what I mean by that. And you all are welcome to come, but you're going to have to eat what's there. I get to this home, and we have a four-course lunch. <laughs> all, I mean, made from ingredients from their garden, by the house. I mean, it was just, it was beautiful. And, and so the, the experience of hospitality in Italy, also in, in London and in England, stayed with a few families there who I had never met before, had, had no relation to, their hospitality to me, especially, I, I think, as, as I've reflected on this trip, even more than the impact on my classes, I think that this trip has even more deeply affected the way that I seek to relate to the boarding community here. Working in the residential community, we have guys who are coming not only from, from across the, the nation, but also guys who are traveling from abroad. Some of them, English is their first language, and for some of them, it's not. But for every boarding student, they're coming to a new place. And they're coming to a place where, where they feel what it is like to be the stranger. Whether they recognize, you know, they, may, they may think, well, I've been coming to summer camp or I had family that came here. But at some point, I think there's a reckoning for everyone that I'm a stranger in a new community. And so the experience for me for that prolonged period of seven weeks to, to, to be placed in that situation that is something that I go back to again and again as, as I see the guys, as I interact with the guys, as I hear them say something or just notice an expression. That's been a helpful touch point to, to connect back to. Well, I've seen that happen in the dorm. I mean, I, I, I sometimes serve dorm duty opposite to you. You're in North, I'm in South. Um, we share evenings. And to see the number of guys that come to your, your apartment and sit down, have conversation, deep conversation around cookies, around, I mean, you've opened your apartment to guys coming in, making their own food, because sometimes for guys, particularly coming from an international setting, to have something that's a bit more homegrown and, and homemade as opposed to our dining hall is unbelievable. Um, but it, it, it provides them a, a sense of, of touch point back to something that's comfortable. That type of hospitality is, is remarkable and it absolutely comes out in what you do on a daily basis. This is Adam. I, I think one of the things, I mean, I, there were so many things that, that we were able to do on the trip and the, I kind of just got lost uh, for a long period of time in the Boston Public Library, just going and wandering. And I had a map, but it was just so much more fun to just wander from, from location to location. And, and the same thing in the Museum of Fine Arts. But I, before we went, and when I was in the planning stages, I, I, uh, I sent a text to Hank Leathers, who's a, a former student of mine. And uh, I, you know, I, I've known the family for a while, having both Hank and his brother in the dorm and, and in the classroom and everything. And so uh, Hank is, is up at Northeastern, up in Boston. So he has, that's sort of become his adopted city. And so I, I sent him a text and said, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about putting together this this grant proposal and, and it's going to be in your neck of the woods. What, you know, here's my idea. What do you think? And he sent me just long text after long text of just unbelievable suggestions and ideas and and so much of it 
you know, we, we just didn't have the time to get to, but I was able to, my family and I went around with, uh, with Hank one afternoon and, um, you know, he was able to show us some of the things that, that aren't on the traditional tourist map. And, and I think that's one of the beautiful things about this experience and about what we do here in general is the fact that, you know, we're not as, as faculty and staff, this isn't a place where you punch the clock and this isn't a place where we're, it's transactional. You know, one of the best parts about what we get to do, and so many of us here have, you know, just myriad roles that, that we serve, but being able to, to keep in touch with these guys for extended periods of time beyond the walls of Macaulay and, and, and being able to, you know, see them get married and have their own families and come back. And there's, you know, there's guys here who I taught and coached when they were students here and they're working here now and, and their colleagues. And it's, that was a, a great reminder to me of why we do what we do is just the simple idea of going around Boston with a former student who is just a, a great person. And, and like Will was talking about, just, you know, it's, it's just pure kindness. Yeah. He stood to gain nothing other than just sharing his time uh, with with people that were eager to see him and just learn something new and and everything we saw was fantastic but the time spent catching up with him on that trip was was better than anything we saw and so um, you know being able to do that and then also uh, writing every every time we do one of these grant trips and we usually go to bigger cities like New York and and DC and um, I always love taking the public transportation so so Hank told me he said you got to take the T you know you got to take the the T system up here so so that's what we did everywhere and I was I remember sending Sumner a text in the middle of it and I was like hey this is unrelated to my trip but it's cool <laughs> it is such a cool experience just to keep your eyes open and sometimes you're on these trains that are shoulder to shoulder and rush hour and you can't can't breathe and then other times it's completely empty and other times there's absolutely everything that would happen in big city life happening on the train for better or for worse and and just being in that and seeing that which is so different from what we're used to in, in Chattanooga is um, that that's one of the reasons why I love just doing everything on, on public transportation whenever we go to one of these big cities. Well, and that's a good reminder of we want to make sure that our alums really travel well and, and decide to end up in New Zealand and <laughs> other places that we would love to come visit you. It's great. And we have right. these grants. Michael? I was just going to echo what, what Will was saying and I, also what Adam was saying about being on a trip like this and it really making you feel more empathy for folks who are in a play or in a strange place that where they don't feel welcome. I know that I had a moment the first day I got there. I mean, immediately after jet lag wore, wore off and just thinking, Oh my goodness, how am I going to go to the grocery store and, and just get food? I was like, is my Spanish good enough to walk around and ask where things are? And, and uh, so I went to the closest grocery store and had a really sweet little old lady walk me around the store and in, in her best English uh, speak with me and taught me what things were called and kind of showed me how to um, do everything that I needed to do in a Spanish grocery store to not look like a tourist, even though I'm sure I still did in subsequent visits. <laughs> Um, and it was just a great experience for that. I took a couple ride shares where I spent two hours in a car with with folks that are my age that I don't that I don't know, and they were wonderful in helping me to, to learn more Spanish. And then also in 
um, helping me figure out where to go at whatever place it was that I was visiting. Um, I guess the last thing that was that was in the same vein that I'd like to talk about is so I went over and one of the the, the goals of the grant was to sort of reconnect with some colleagues of mine, guys that have, are really good friends, but the, through COVID, I just hadn't had the opportunity to see. So the, the two gentlemen that ran this festival, um, Rene Esquerdo and, and Andrew Zone, are two really, really good friends. But um, getting to spend uh, time for a whole week at a festival in a small town with, with guitar friends uh, you just experience a different level of, of friendship. And so I really value the time I got to spend with, with these colleagues in, a, in an unfamiliar place. We had a lot of fun and, and you know, really strengthened those relationships. So that was, that was another added bonus. It's really powerful. The ability to take time out of our daily schedules and focus on, I think well, you, you talked about the why, the sort of why of what we do here. And it's, it's not the direct teaching of content and skills, so that's really important. That is, that's central to it, right? But it is this relationship, it's a connection, it's the love and care and, and wisdom we're trying to gain and impart. That's, I think, what's central. I hope that's what these grants would have do. Maybe sort of my final question for you then would be, what might be a phrase or even just a single word that might sort of encapsulate this sense that these grant, this grant had for you? Adam? I think mine would be blending the the idea that this was uh, just an unbelievable opportunity for me to to blend knowledge with experience and and to blend history with literature. Uh, Boston is such a, a rich historical city, and and in looking at the the romantic literature and the and the realist literature and and, and connecting that to the history and pre and post Civil War. Um, got a chance to do that and yet at the same time it was a blending of of family you know these opportunities to have my family go along with me on the journey and and enrich their lives and and at the same time um connecting with with former students and and players and uh to me it just it makes kind of everything that i do here and everything that we do here sort of come full circle my family is part and particle of of what I do here in the classroom and on the athletic field and, and in the dorm. And uh, it just makes sense for them to be on the trip with me to, to make it whole. Michael. I think my phrase would be back to the roots. Um, the thing that I just keep thinking about over and over and over again is how much the trip really brought me back to why I love to play the Spanish classical guitar um, and how I can bring that into my classroom, how I can bring this new enthusiasm or uh, rekindling of a very old enthusiasm into my classroom and have my boys play real classical guitar music this fall. It will. After seven weeks of solo backpacking, half of those nights spent in hostels, half of those nights spent in a, in a little one-person tent, you know, daily waking up, trying to, to find what are the words that I need to navigate this day? Where can I use the bathroom? Where can I find internet? Where can I get food? The, the theme of the summer, I think, was a sense of making home or, or finding home. The longer that I stayed away, the more that 
I came to have a deep, deep longing for and, and I think a gratitude to have a place, to have a people to belong to a place and to have a place on earth that belongs to you. And that has revitalized and reinvigorated my approach to, to coming back and to being a part of this community for having been a part of those communities for a time this summer. Thanks to the three of you. I, I hope that our audience can get a sense of how these grants make a huge difference, certainly to the students that we're teaching because of what we're bringing back, but in particular from my perspective, Dean of Faculty, to the faculty, to the, the sense of what we're doing, the whys of what we're doing. They're transformative, and we're deeply grateful for the donors that connect with that, deeply grateful for the three of you to take on that courage and say, hey, I want to try something. I want to do, I want to stretch myself. I want to see what the next step is in my teaching and my personal growth. So thank the three of you for this morning. Appreciate it. Thank you. You have been listening to Stories from the Ridge, a podcast series about the happenings of the faculty, students, and alumni of Macaulay School. Stories from the Ridge is produced by the Macaulay Communications Department. If you have any comments or if you have a suggestion for a future podcast, please let us know by sending us an email to info at macaulay.org. That's info at m-c-c-a-l-l-i-e dot org. Or call us at 423-493-5615. I'm Deanna Luna with the Macaulay Communications Department. Thanks for listening. Thank you.